everyone. This is the podcast for anyone interested in becoming a business leader or entrepreneur. Thanks for tuning in to our three-piece series on civic engagement. Let's get to it. So yeah, I mean, I went to Purdue. I don't know how far back we want to go, but yeah, sure. uh, went to Purdue, which was, I think, a very, as it is for a lot of people, um, formative time, right? Like college, it's kind of that first taste of independence, but yet it's still this sort of, you're kind of still like in an incubation kind of period, right? It's, it's independent, but yet heavily protected and isolated. Um, but one of the things that I was exposed to and that I learned there was just this concept of forcing yourself out of your own comfort zone and the great values and benefits that that has not only on yourself, but also the people around you. And so that was, that was probably, if I had to pick one lesson from college, it was probably that. It was just the incredible, incredible value. And it's funny, I went and had lunch with Lim today, uh, you know, one of the, one of the new or fellows. And he, that was the exact same thing. That was like his big take was how important it is to get out of your comfort zone. And so when the, when I graduated and I knew that I was going to be doing or, but even if I wasn't doing or I, I had cultivated and kind of developed this interest in, you know, wanting to, which again, this is something that a lot of or fellows feel is this desire to, to make an impact. And, and often for a lot of people that may be more like career oriented for other people, it may be more community oriented. And for me, it was always a little bit more on that community side. It was how can I serve the community was a huge part of, of, of honestly my decision even to do or because, and I grew up to go even before college, I grew up in Noblesville. So not where Fisher's right, not far from here. Um, and so I've got, I have a family here, like outside of even my biological family, just people, friends, the community has very much been a part of the fabric of my life. And so knowing that or fellowship presented an opportunity for me to get to develop a new set of even deeper roots in this new stage in life, because it's one thing to develop relationships as a kid than it is when you're starting your career. So all of those things, like I said, kind of through the college experience at Purdue and then thinking about what I wanted to do from a career perspective and what I wanted to do when I graduated, a lot of that was just very much pointing me towards some of these you know, community service-oriented projects, organizations, initiatives. Um, yeah, I feel like I, I just kind of dove right into the community service yeah. stuff. I don't know if I told it. It too yeah. much, enough about myself, but, uh, but yeah, I guess that's that's been kind of the overarching story. Brian has really been involved with civic engagement and volunteering since college. And he mentions an organization here in a little bit called Big Brothers Big Sisters. And while he describes a little bit more about what they do, I'll let you know now that they are a mentoring group for young kids. When I was at Purdue, I think it was freshman year, I remember at my fraternity, uh, during like a chapter meeting or something, we had a group come. It was Big Brothers Big Sisters of Lafayette or Greater Lafayette area, and they were. And I just remember that was the first time that I'd ever uh, interfaced with a person who worked there. I had heard because they're. I mean, they're like the largest and oldest group Huge. that does that kind of thing. Um, and I do. I actually remember this is funny. Uh, I was probably like ten or something, and I watched. MacGyver growing up. Did you ever watch MacGyver? Mm-hmm. And he, he was like, he did that. I don't know if it was like 
formalize that it was actually like I don't I'm assuming they didn't actually say it's Big Brothers Big Sisters, but there were several episodes where you did, he had a relationship with and I just remember even watching that as a young kid being like that's cool and like MacGyver was cool and I was like I want to do that one day. I mean it is I think it's 1904 is when it was established. It's over 100 years old. And it's basically, I mean, it's a holistic approach to mentorship and a one-on-one relationship with a kid. And I, I know it, it, it goes down to age eight. You can, uh, you can be a part of the program all the way up till you're 18. And then obviously they would encourage it to continue after you just kind of, the, the, the child graduates from the program, I suppose. Um, and so for it, it's all about connecting, you know, adults, the mentors with these children who are in need of some kind of figure like that in their life um, for, for a whole host of different circumstances. And again, they're pretty, you know, uh, pretty proud of the fact that they've got people at, at all ranges of, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds. It's like, it's not, it's not necessarily all people that are, you know, living below the poverty line by any means. Actually, I think most of them probably aren't, but um, it's just about connecting with a kid and being a positive influence and a positive impact and, and then, I mean, that gets into, right, they, they have certain requirements, like you need to be able to commit to at least a year because it's so important to have consistency, right? You're not, they don't want somebody that's going to come in for a couple months and then leave because that's the kind of interaction some of these kids are actually quite used to. People come in and out and they, and it's like, who can I really trust? How do I develop these deeper relationships? And so, so yeah, so that's big brothers, big sisters. One thing that Brian mentioned a little bit earlier that you guys didn't get to hear was the fact that there was a great need for male mentors in the program. And here in a minute, you're going to hear from Brian on why that is such a huge issue, not only for the Lafayette area, but also for the entire organization. At, at least, I think, it's, I think it's pretty national as well. That was the message that that particular rep was sharing at that time. And like I said, that would have been the Greater Lafayette group. But then, man, I found it was the same for Indianapolis when I got here. And just so when I got to hear for the first time, that person kind of share the story, you know, the official, here's Big Brothers, Big Sisters. This is the actual group that does the thing that you watched when you, <laughs> when you, you saw that MacGyver episode. And I was like, that's super cool. It sounded like something I would love to do. I love the idea of, I mean, it's like you talk about impact. It doesn't get more impactful than that because it's, it's literally one-to-one. You're, you're getting to meet another human and then develop a deep, long-lasting relationship. That's amazing. So I knew I wanted to do it, but I, I wasn't eligible at the time. And I was kind of disappointed about that because you had to be, I think you had to be nine. How old do you have to be? That's a good question. He had to be, it wasn't 18. It's older than 18. I'm like almost certain. And so I was actually too young. The first time that they came, I was too young to do it. And then, but then they came back next year, sophomore year. And I was old enough, I think at that point, but then you had to have a car, right? Cause you have to be, they didn't have a car. So I still couldn't do it. And then junior year was the one year where I like, I personally couldn't make the commitment. I was like, I am, I have so many things. Like, I mean, it's classic junior year of college was so busy. I was like, I couldn't in good conscience sign up to do this, which I think is an appropriate thing for people to do. Like if you don't think you can really commit to doing something like that, then don't do it because that's actually going to maybe do more harm than good. Junior year was the one year I, I couldn't make the commitment. And then senior year was like the perfect storm. And I called him. I was like, I'm fi- I, like I've been trying to do this for three years. I'm finally ready. And, and they were like, yeah, great. Wait, did you say you're a senior? And I was like, yeah. And like, so you mean you're going to be graduating in like nine months? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, then you can't do it. 
so such a bummer i was really bummed i was kind of mad too which i shouldn't be mad because that's them that was them making the right call uh so i still didn't get to do it so that was all kind of leading up to i was just like ready to jump on it once i had moved back to indianapolis was starting the job starting the or fellowship i mean i think i got i got matched with with my little in like june so i mean pretty much right away because i had submitted the application earlier knowing that that's where I was going to be. So that's kind of my personal story with that particular organization, which is one I'm a huge fan of just because of what they do. Like it, and again, you hear a lot of people talk in different spheres, just how effective that style of service or men, like that's, that's one of the most, I don't, I don't even know if surefire is the right way to put it, but that's one of the most powerful things anybody can do is to just go and build a relationship with somebody, especially a young person, and just be there for them. You know, and it's, it's again, it's a long thing. It's not, it's not necessarily, it's, it's not like you get this direct immediate reward. The reward is just the relationship in and of itself and getting to watch that person grow and mature and hopefully you know, succeed at the things that they are looking to do. Um, Have you been able to, like, call out one of those moments where you're like, wow, this is what I'm talking about and this yeah. is where I actually felt that? Yeah, well, it's an, I think I'm still very much in the middle of that. So we just would have had our one-year uh, kind of anniversary, and there's actually, it might be this week, it's, I think it's early August, there, we're gonna, there's going to be a big kind of, like, one-year party thing. Um, but so, so my little, he's... He was eight when we started and turned nine in December. So he's, I mean, he's the youngest you can be, which poses a, di- I mean, that's a different dynamic, right? Like just in terms of the types of conversations that you can have with an eight, nine year old, as opposed to like a, you know, a 15 year old in the middle of high school. So it, I, I've not you know, had like these just incredibly deep, enlightening conversations, which again, it's not like that I'm even qualified to do that. I, I, and again, I'm actually quite glad that I was, because I'm also like, nearly the youngest you can be a mentor. So it's a great, I mean, their, their match team did an amazing job connecting us. I was on the younger end of the mentor pool. He was on the younger end of the mentee pool. We're both super active, love running around, playing outside, doing that stuff. So it's great in all those ways. But yeah, it, at this point, it's more really the first entire year, honestly, for me has just been... I mean, the first few months were just establishing trust and comfortability. Because again, this is an eight, year, eight, nine, eight year old kid at the time, and I'm some some guy that just showed up out of nowhere, you know. Like, and again, he he has a number of uh, older siblings that have been in the program, so he he was excited to get in it because he had seen how much fun it can be. So it wasn't that hard to to get over that. But those first few months were that, and then I would say even still, most of the first year has has just been it's been a lot of just trying to have fun together. And, and again, to be that consistent person and to, to lead more by example than like even necessarily talking through nitty-gritty details. Brian briefly mentions that there are some situations, obviously, that can be more challenging or difficult when being a mentor to a younger kid or to any kid for that matter that has different problems or different backgrounds and situations. And so I asked him if the Big Brothers Big Sisters program actually did any training with them. And he said, yes, they did. And that they actually do a very good job of preparing you for the situations that you might encounter. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's a very good, 
to call it lengthy would probably it's not like incredibly lengthy, but they have a a, a solid process when you from application to the match day. You, I mean, obviously they do a, a background check. They ha- they do an in person interview. So they do their due diligence to make sure that they're getting not just you know decent people, but the right kind of people, good people. Um, and then they do. Then there's a mandatory training session that you go to, and and you go through that. And then even that first meeting is with uh, the person that they call your match support specialist. I believe is the the title. And so you go and you meet the family and you meet your little with the match sports specialist there. And then he or she is with you for that whole, for the whole process. And you have like a monthly phone call mm-hmm. where they just check and they're doing monthly phone calls with the family and with the little two. So everybody's in the loop and everybody's, so they, another, I think one of the biggest benefits, cause there's so many amazing organizations doing things like this. And like, honestly, for people to get involved in any one of those is, is just fantastic. One of the things that I do think would set Big Brothers Big Sisters apart is because of their incredibly, you know, rich history and the vastness of their network. They are so good at what they do, and they've been doing it for so long, and they have access to so many resources. That, and again, I'm incredibly blessed and so thankful to have have a guy who's just he's he's doing you know he's doing really well and like there's a lot of great things going on so again my job is very easy and we just kind of get to have fun together a lot but for those ones that are more of a challenge there's a lot of people to lean on i mean there's a massive organization to lean on and they're always again i've not even scratched the surface of taking advantage of those resources and they do events all the time and i because because our match is so good i've not felt like i had to like oh shoot i have no idea what we're going to do this time i better you know, go to that thing, but they're always, you're getting free tickets to sporting events and, you know, things at the zoo and museums. I mean, they're always getting, sending emails of different ways and activities and things to do. And like I said, I, again, it's just been great. I've not even, it's not been something that we needed to do because we've always been like, oh, next time we got to go do that. Oh yeah. Okay. Let's go do that. So (laughs) it's like, man, whatever. Besides Big Brothers Big Sisters, Brian is actually involved in a few other service projects and he talks about that again here in a minute but what I was really curious to know from him was even how involved he is how does he balance life social just work like many of us try and do I don't know how I would personally try and split up all my time I feel like I'm spread thin already but I figured Brian's been doing this for a little bit longer than I have and he probably has it all figured out how do you kind of um, split up your time to obviously pursue what you enjoy yeah. and also kind of have your own life mm-hmm. and also have your, you work yeah. <laughs> like yeah, right. many of us right, do. Right, right. Yeah. That was one I, – I didn't – I wouldn't say I did a, did a poor job, but I think I overextended a little bit right when I you know arrived in Indianapolis, just graduated. I was kind of still coming off that high of the university experience, which was just so fantastic and it was like – you know, involved in everything and doing all this stuff. But what I forgot was that's not how I started. I didn't start involved in everything, running around, managing all these different things. I started just going to class, just being it at my fraternity house, and, and that was it. And then I appropriately, by the end of my freshman year, I was like, this is, we're coasting when we don't want that. And so started to get more, and then every year it was kind of like something new, something new, something new. But I kind of dove in to Indianapolis 
and everything. And I was just like, do it all, all at once, <laughs> which was kind of hard. So this first, you know, few months were a challenge. But yeah, there's there are a few other organizations that I'm a part of that I enjoy. So for me, one of the other things, one of my other kind of big initiatives when I first arrived was I wanted to find a local church. Church, faith, huge part of my life. And so I kind of, you know, looked around. It ultimately ended up that I, I didn't actually find the place that I ended up settling at until this, really until like February, which sounds weird, but that's another crazy story for another mm-hmm. time. And so the church that I'm going to now, Soma in, uh, in Broad Ripple, Soma Midtown, my small group with that church, they, which the small groups there are called missional communities, which I love. Like, and just, it, it's exactly what it is. It's like every one of these small groups, every one of these missional communities has a thing that they do to serve their community, hence the name. And so the one that my small group partners with is called Poor House, P-O-U House. P-O-U-R house, yeah. And so that, I guess to give a little bit of an explanation on that, first of all, crazy cool story that I'm not, I, if I were to try to show the details, I would mix it up. But basically, I think it's, it's, a, it's primarily run by a group of four or five women. I think there was one that started it. And, and it started where she, I believe, this is correct, that she went out and, and you know, she just had a heart for people that were struggling with homelessness and poverty in the Indianapolis area especially. And she would literally go out and, and look for the people that were just evident to the eye the most vulnerable. You know what I'm saying? And so she did that. And then the, the mission of Poor House is to then help. It's just one piece of the puzzle, which is something that I think you hear a lot of people that are even with things like fighting homelessness. That's what they'll they'll say like we are just one piece of the puzzle because there's so it's such a complex issue and there's so many different moving parts that go into making that a successful journey we had the guy from habitat for humanity and that was one of the things that when i talked with him afterwards he was saying like we're just one piece of this puzzle same with poorhouse and so the piece that poorhouse does is they are literally providing move-in supplies for people that have already worked with a different piece of the puzzle to get into some form of housing. And so, but, but they get into that form of housing and it's, it's just literally four walls. Nothing. No chairs, tables, beds, spoons, forks, anything. And so Poor House, somebody donated a small warehouse space to them to use to collect donations. And so they collect donations for furniture and, and home supplies and all these things. And then, people, and then you can volunteer with Poor House to be a to be a part of those move-ins. And so you get to go and you show up and there's the person that's gonna that's gonna be living in this new space and there they are in their space with nothing and here you are with a truck that's got a bed and a couch and a kitchen table and chairs and some basic utensils and things like that. And again, like wow, talk about impact oriented. I mean, you just it's all you're meeting the actual people, you're going into their actual homes moving things in and and getting to do that. And so that I started, I got to do that uh, for several weekends. It's probably been about a month ago now. And then there was, I think June was a little bit of an odd month where we only went once, but then we're going to be back at it pretty big in July. And so that has been a newer organization that I've just even been exposed to, but like just start. And again, it's, this is also one of those where I guess it, it's kind of maybe still 
it's it's flexible enough that like mm-hmm. you can just kind of like hop in. Yeah. <laughs> like unlike Big Brothers Big Sisters, right? It, you know, over a hundred years old. There's there's a lot of uh, infrastructure there, and so you got to go through a pretty again I wouldn't even necessarily call it lengthy, but a nice process to get through there. Man, you want to come help a poorhouse? You just show up and like, oh yeah, here here's a chair. Put it in this truck. Now let's go and move somebody in, like, which is pretty sweet. While he doesn't really have a theme to the organizations he volunteers with or the service projects he is a part of, Brian has always been particularly interested in homelessness and just the general cause for it, the repercussions, and all the different complexities surrounding that topic. It, it didn't happen this way, but I have been particularly interested in the cause of homelessness because, well, as you know, like my career is in real estate. So it's, you know, I'm kind of, I'm in that space all day long and it's a little bit of like reality check though. Like this is not, like this is an amazing thing, home ownership. And as a person who has, has a career in that field, I recognize how big of an, of a benefit that is. And like the value of home, home ownership, it's incredible. I mean, it's one of the, it's right. It's one of the absolutely best ways to develop like generational wealth, not just for yourself, but for, for few generations. So to be able to help move people, whether it's from true pure form homelessness or even just a really, really tough and not great rent situation into ultimate. So that's why I, I sat around and talked with the guy from Habitat for Humanity because I've had people mention it. And again, like I've only been in the industry for what, like six, seven months at this point. So I'm still learning so much. But that cause and, and just recognizing, man, if I could play any role in helping to be a just even to ha- – <laughs> Really, that's the other thing I've been learning is like I don't have to try to invent the wheel. There's already people out there doing all these amazing things at a much higher level than I would ever probably be able to do on my own. So if I can just go and support their piece of the puzzle by physically showing up and helping move some couches around, I'm great at moving couches. Like I'll go do that. Yeah. So Poorhouse has been another um, organization that I've enjoyed kind of flash diving into just even the past couple of months. And I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully some, some more opportunities in the future. And I know there's other or fellows that have also volunteered with Poorhouse. And I think, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of those incredibly impactful experiences because it's just so real. Yeah. You said that uh, was in college or, yeah, whenever you were starting classes and you're just then kind of sitting around and you're like, I'm coasting. Right. What does that look like for you, and why was that such a signal for you to say, "Hey, I need to get involved yeah. in some form or fashion"? Right, and right. when do you, when, how do you deal with that even now? Yeah, that's kind of what the process looked like. It was just, again, I think it was reflection on the past, recognizing that I was like, I can do more. Like I, I just feel like I'm not, I've, you know, I've been give, I've been blessed in so many ways. I have so many resources at my disposal, it would be a waste to just kind of completely go with the flow and not not exert myself and not test myself. I wouldn't want to do that. That would be like, you talk about like how, how you define success and failure, that would be a failure. Like to just be like, well, this is easy and nice, so I'm just going to stick with that. Like that's a great recipe for no growth, no personal development. Which I guess I was just I was just aware of the fact that that's not what I was looking for. 
for any of you listening to this and thinking, wow, I really like civic engagement. I think it's really important. It's really great. I'd like to be more involved, but man, my job is really demanding. I've got home stuff going on, personal things just out of control, and I really don't have the time to consistently commit to something. I don't have the time to volunteer. Well, I asked Brian what he says to those people who say that, and his answer, like many of his answers, is very unique. Well, I guess there's an element in which that that kind of attitude and mentality I just described is truly that. It's like it's an attitude or it's a mentality and that can be and you know probably should be applied anywhere in the workplace, at the grocery store. If we if you know, if somebody feels motivated to be more civically engaged but then don't feel like they have the time to, you know, actively participate in some sort of like volunteer organization, I think adopting that just more of an attitude of selfless serving, I mean, that would be a great thing. Like, because that's the kind of thing that you, you literally you wake up and then you just commit. Like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to help somebody else today. It doesn't have to be in some, like, oh, I'm going to you know, set aside three hours to go and you know, pull weeds or rake leaves. It could just be as I navigate the workspace and whatever I'm doing, I'm not going to necessarily just always choose the thing that's me, 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 but oh, let me, you know, and it can be small, crazy stuff. So I guess that would be maybe the encouraging word. Uh, but I also feel like most people have, have time. <laughs> like if you, because again, even with something like Big Brothers Big Sisters, they're, they're literally only asking once or twice a month for a few hours a month, a few hours a month. Like <laughs> there's a lot of hours in a month and they're only asking for like five. So I think and that would be the other encouragement would be to something I'd said earlier, like you don't have to reinvent the wheel or try to solve world hunger on your own or try to solve homelessness on your, like there are people who have, who have truly dedicated their entire lives and they've given up opportunities, some of them for great wealth and great power and prestige. And they've decided, Nope, I'm going to go and just, you know, accept whatever menial pay this is and, and dedicate my life to fighting this particular issue or, you know, helping this particular cause. So just go and support them. And then again, that's the point is you almost certainly have time where you to carve out to just go and support somebody else who's literally giving their life to go all in on, on something. While I was putting together this episode, a coworker of mine told me Brian was in the process of becoming a firefighter. I wish I would have known this when I'd interviewed him, but since I didn't get the chance to talk to him about it, I texted him and asked for a short paragraph of why he chose to become a firefighter. So here it goes. Since I was a freshman in college, I have been fascinated and inspired by firefighting community service, personal sacrifice, camaraderie, physicality. These were the qualities that stirred in my mind as distinctly in line with my life priorities. Over the past few years, I have built relationships with a number of career firefighters in an effort to learn more about the occupation and to begin making inroads towards active participation in the fire service. 
Just recently, I have been given the opportunity to start training with the fire department in my hometown of Noblesville with aspirations to maintain involvement more heavily in the future. As an Orfellow and a real estate entrepreneur, I am always stretching for professional growth and I am excited by the opportunity to engage with this passion in addition to my business career. Brian is an extraordinary human, and he's definitely involved with civic engagement because it's important to him and dear to his heart. But in the end, I think what's important to take away from this is that you can be civically involved in whatever way you choose, whether it's volunteering weekly, monthly, donating if you are financially able, or even just waking up with the mentality that you'd like to do something good for someone today. For tuning in and listening to another episode of or else watch out for the next two episodes in this three-part series of civic engagement special thanks for this episode goes to olivia miller and jimmy moody for helping me actually produce this episode today's music credit goes to funk and flash spug lit and Sydney.